When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to Buckeye Talk. We have the results of the 13th annual Cleveland.com preseason Big Ten football media poll, a longstanding tradition started by our predecessor, Doug Lamarise, and we've kept it going um, since I got here. I've taken it over starting uh, with the 2020 season, and it's always a great way to get a some posterity of, of what the league was thinking as we go into another season. And oftentimes the league is very wrong. And a few times they've been very correct, and we'll see how that plays out this year. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Stephen Means and Andrew Gillis. And for the first time since 2019, Ohio State is not the favorite to win the Big Ten. Michigan won the media vote to start the year to win the Big Ten this year, and it was not particularly close. Does that surprise you, Stephen? A little bit. I don't know if I'm shocked that they – that they were number one, but I am kind of shocked that they're, if it, you're saying it's that significant. And even if the reasons why are pretty obvious, one team's returning its quarterback and most of the reason why its offense is pretty good. And the other re- team is you know trying to replace the number two pick in the NFL draft. I, I mean, it makes sense, but even it's still just, just, I don't know if it's clicked yet that not only is Michigan maybe the face of the big 10 right now, but it's a very clear, comfortable seat until proven otherwise. Michigan received 27. We had 37 voters this year in the poll, including myself, including Steven, including Doug. And for the first time, this was like maybe the most blind we've ever done this because nobody was sending me an individual email to do any part of it. It was all automated. So I don't have a breakdown as to how many came from the East, how many came from the West. And we tried to find multiple people for every school, but that's not always possible because uh, there are some schools such as Northwestern that just don't have a lot of people reporting on them on a, on a day-to-day basis. Anyway, Michigan got 27 first place votes compared to eight for Ohio State, two for Penn State to win the East, and then 27 votes to win the Big Ten Championship for Michigan as well, compared to eight for Ohio State and two for Penn State. So again, no champion coming out of the West, which has kind of uh, become the the usual stance of the, the preseason voters here. But Michigan, 27 first place votes, nine second place votes, and one third. That got them 248 points. Ohio State, Eight first-place votes, 25 second-place votes, four third-place votes. So there were some people voting Penn State ahead of Ohio State and even ahead of of, of Michigan as well in at least one case. That was for 226 points. So a 22-point spread on among 37 people voting, that's a, a fairly good margin. I wanted to compare that to the last time this happened, which was 2019. Back then, which was my first year on the beat, that was a year of nine and three, Doug, for all of you who've been here since then, Michigan received 21st place votes compared to 14 for Ohio State that year. There was only an eight-point difference 
in the poll that year. Michigan only was first by eight. And when Doug and I talked last week, I predicted that I thought Michigan would be first and I thought it wouldn't be as close as it was last year. So Andrew, uh, you're obviously coming in uh, not having voted in this poll, uh, though that will change next year. But does it surprise you that Michigan is such a comfortable favorite, not just to win the East, but to, well, I guess, actually, if you win the East, you're predicted <laughs> to win the West, as I was just saying. So is, is it a surprise to you that they are this comfortable of a favorite over Ohio State? Yeah, it really is. You know, I, I was kind of looking at the numbers and like, I mean, 19 more first place votes that that kind yeah. of struck me because I so I was, you know, in doing all kinds of research for for starting this job. One of the things I looked at was national championship odds and pretty much everywhere you look, actually exactly everywhere you look, Ohio State has better national championship odds than Michigan. Um, FanDuel, DraftKings, PointsBet, BetMGM, BetRivers, Ohio State is the preemptive, you know, kind of third in line behind um, behind Georgia. Obviously, Georgia's the, you know, the clear favorite. And then Alabama. And then it's Ohio State. And then it's Michigan. So I've kind of thought that that was interesting. And I don't think that that's necessarily off base, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily insane to say that, like, okay, Ohio State might not be the favorites to win the Big Ten, but they have a better chance of winning a national championship than Michigan does. Like, it, I, I think that that's a kind of a weird place we're in right now where you can say, yeah, I think Michigan has a better chance because I think Michigan, you can say they're, you know, they're more physical, they're better at the line of scrimmage, however you want to phrase it and say, you know, look at what they've done the last two years. You know, they're kind of built to beat Ohio State, but Ohio State is kind of built to beat Alabama and Georgia. They've got the dudes on the outside. You know, we talked to the receivers recruiting yesterday. I mean, if you do that every year, you're going to have the dudes on the outside to beat those teams. So I thought that that was really interesting. So I'm, I'm a little surprised that it was as lopsided as it is. Andrew, like I said, you didn't vote in this poll. If you had voted, I'm really putting you on the spot right. here. And if you're not prepared to answer, then tell me to, to buzz off. Uh, <laughs> do you know who you would have voted for? I I, I would have picked Ohio State. Um, and I'm not just saying that to suck up to the listeners. I genuinely would have picked the Buckeyes. Um, I, I would have picked Ohio State. And I'm not capital A asking. I'm, I'm just asking about Penn State. I just, I have questions about Penn State going into this year. Um, I mean, last year, I know that they've, they've you know, they've kind of had some some rough years of quarterback after McSorley. Now they actually might have a really, really good quarterback running back combination. And, um, you know, I was looking up their schedule going into the Ohio State game this year. It actually plays out really well for them going into, uh, going into Columbus. They play, I mean, they have a non-conference schedule of West Virginia, Delaware, and then they play at Illinois. Iowa at Northwestern, a bye week, UMass, and then they go to Columbus and they play Ohio State in the shoe. So like Penn State should be six and zero going into that game, and it doesn't really you know you don't I mean the week after they play uh, Ohio State they play Indiana. So you know it's not like that they've got you know some crazy trap games or anything like that. I know Michigan has to play Penn State, then they play Maryland, then they play Ohio State. That to me just kind of feels like, you know, trap city for Michigan and for Penn State. I just I want to see what they look like with, you know, potentially a really good quarterback, potentially like a, you know, not a program changing quarterback, but potentially like a quarterback that can win you a game on his own. I'm I'm curious to see what that looks like for the Nittany Lions, just because, like I said, they should roll into Columbus undefeated and they're not exactly playing a tough schedule before or the week after. 
So, Stephen, when we vote in this poll, we have to vote one through seven for each division. Mm -hmm. So how did you vote in the East? Ohio State was number one for me, and that will probably be the premise of this pod as a Michigan-Ohio State talk, so I'll save that conversation for a later point in the podcast. Michigan's second. Penn State's third for me, and they're pretty comfortably third. I think there's a gap between Penn State at number three and then 1A and 1B at this point with Ohio State and Michigan. I I, I get the the Drew Aller conversation, and he's got the five-star pedigree, but that's that's not a five-star quarterback from Texas or California or Arizona. That's a five-star quarterback from Medina, Ohio, who – there's still a developmental curve that may be there. So I almost, I almost want to see that in action first before I get too excited about what he may be able to do in terms of going head-to-head with the quarterbacks at Ohio State and Michigan are going to roll out there. And then I went Michigan State. And then I went Maryland. I just I, – I, I like what Mel Tucker's doing over there, even if it took a significant step back last year. And I just think we know the Maryland story with Talia Tungvaluwa as their quarterback. It, it, he's good until they play somebody good and then he's no longer good. And so I'm just not there with Maryland to move them up any higher than five Rutgers at number six and then love everybody at number seven with Indiana because Tom Allen is still their head coach. So you and I were almost identical. I had Ohio state at, uh, I guess here's how I looked at it. Um, Cause I also picked Ohio state to win the East. Doug picked Michigan to win the East and win the big 10. He said that on the pod here last week. I don't have his whole ballot in front of me, but uh, he did say that on the pod last week, but it was almost, but he was saying it as, well, I don't know who's going to win this game, um, but I have to pick somebody today for mm-hmm. the survivor show for us. So he was, he was doing that. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I think it's going to be tough for Ohio state to go 12 and 0. I, my suspicion is they don't go 12 and 0 and there's not a great shame in that. A lot of national champions since the start of the playoff era, even the 14 playoff era, have taken a loss into the playoff and won a national championship, including Georgia two years ago. The team was better, I think, by most estimations than the Georgia team that won again last year, including the Ohio State team that won in 2014, including other Clemson, Alabama teams. So a a loss isn't necessarily going to cripple your season. It's just got to come in the right way, the right time. I had to pick a team for Ohio State to lose to, though, if I'm going to predict that. And I picked Wisconsin. So I had Ohio State and Michigan both going eight and one, but Ohio State winning in Ann Arbor, and then Penn State at seven and two, Maryland six and three, Michigan State three and six, Rutgers two and seven, Indiana zero oh and nine. How tough was it for you, Stephen, to pick the Ohio State Michigan game? I didn't want to do it. I almost want to continue to wait until November to be able to do it. That's. I don't think either one of these teams is going to be undefeated getting to that game the same way that they were last year. That's just where my head is right now. Now, when we actually have to mark down records and stuff, that might change. But as I was voting on this, I won't be shocked if it's similar to 21, where both have a loss. And the Penn State you know, situation is, for Michigan, that's the case. I agree with you. Right, right now, as I was voting, I think Ohio State is going to lose to Wisconsin. It's a road game in a crazy environment where you have a head coach who's super motivated to – kind of redeem himself from the last time he got a chance to play against his alma mater. That just seems like a a combination of things that might just click that day for the Badgers, who I think are the best team in the Big, in the Big Ten West. Andrew, when you look at this Ohio State schedule, do you see an undefeated season, or do you assume Ohio State is going to have to work with a loss to get into the playoff this year? 
Yeah, I think a loss is probably fair. I mean, just because there's there's a lot of kind of unknowns, I think, when you look at their schedule, um, especially, I mean, you know, I think this is a little more transferable in the NFL, too, when you kind of look, okay, well, who are the quarterbacks you're going to have to play? Okay, well, on Ohio State's schedule, I, I, I have questions about the quarterbacks that they're going to have to play. Like, what if Sam Hartman's really good? at Notre Dame, right? Like what if Sam Hartman has a really good year for the Irish? What happens if Aller is really good for Penn State? Like what happens if if Mordecai is pretty good for Wisconsin? I'm not going to put him kind of up there, but like what happens if he has a solid year? Like so I you know I think they're going to lose one. I still think they're going to win the Big 10. Um, you know, I think that it's going to come down to um, that, you know, I would be surprised if it didn't come down to the Ohio state, Michigan game, obviously. Um, I know I'm breaking news and, you know, just earth shattering revelations there, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I think I would say Ohio state, I, I look at the schedule and I see nine and O against every against, you know, kind of the best of the rest. And then I see two and one against Notre Dame, Michigan, and uh, Penn State. I mean, you have to play two of those games on the road. Who knows what the fans are going to be like at Notre Dame Stadium? That's obviously a conversation that we're going to have in a couple of weeks when um, you know when we get closer. But I mean, that might be kind of like a more bowl game atmosphere. But I, I mean, you still have to go on the road twice. You still, I mean, there's a Purdue kind of game in there, which could be wonky. Like I, I just it often think is. That, yeah, I know. I, I, I just you think don't that, know Ohio State history. It often <laughs> is when they play Purdue. Weirdly, uh, I, I just think nine and zero, and you know, uh, against those guys, and then two and one or two and one against Notre Dame, Ohio or uh, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan feels fair. Uh, one thing to point out, real quick, Nathan, before you continue, Penn State, Wisconsin, back to back. That's yeah. I mean, that's a it's tough. That's, they have they the last time they've had two. Big 10 teams back-to-back that were that difficult was the 2019 season where they played Penn State and then they went to Michigan the following week. That's, I mean, that's not an easy thing for anybody to pull off. It's not. And I've been thinking about 2019 a lot lately because there are some similarities. There are some ways that they're very dissimilar. We don't know that there's a Chase Young on this team. That 2019 team, we knew, I think, that the offensive line had maybe some more promise than this one did. Um, the receivers on this team are better. Like, it's not a perfect match. Oh, yeah. I guess what I've been saying is, I, I think, like, everything is still on the table right now. Like, it's it's very hard to make a prediction that you're willing to, like, lay your life on the line with right now. I think Ohio State could, I think they could lose at Notre Dame, and you'd win out the rest of your games, and it doesn't matter. You're going to the playoff. You're winning the Big Ten. I think they could lose to Penn State, as Andrew was saying. I think Penn State is going to be pretty good. By the way, Penn State received the other, I don't think I already said this, the other two first place votes, not just to win the East, but to win the whole Big Ten. So there are people out there who are staunchly in support of Penn State right now. And we're going to get to the preseason offensive defensive player of the year votes later. And Penn State is well represented in, in both of those categories. So I think that there's just about any outcome is still, it could it could end up being just like last year. Two 11-0 teams playing in the last game of the year, and the winner goes to the playoff, and the loser goes to the playoff. Or maybe the loser goes home. It's uh, Maybe I'm being too too simplistic here, but like everything is still on the table, and it's very hard for me. I, could, I would almost put an equal percentage chance of a lot of those things happening. They wouldn't be like a, a, a wildly different percentage. And also, mm-hmm. Ohio State going 12-0, I think, would get about the same weight for me right now. 
we're at that point in the season where I think we're going to learn a lot about house these first four weeks. And that, to bring up 2019 again, that Notre Dame game could very much end up being what the Nebraska game was in 2019, where we thought Nebraska was pretty good. It's like, hey, what if Adrian Martinez, what he bottled up in that Ohio State game a year ago was real? And now Nebraska's a real threat the way that they were always intended to be when the Big Ten brought them over. And then they got to that game and they thumped them. And we left that game thinking, okay, nope, Nebraska still stinks. Adrian Martinez isn't very good. And this is going to be boring because Ohio State's awesome. And they might be the most complete team in college football. That's all on the table. But it could also be the same as the last two years where we get to the bye week when we think, okay, this team's good. They're playoff caliber. They can maybe win a national title, but they've got some inherent flaws that if the right team pokes at them on the right day, their season might be a wrap. So just to run down the full results in the East, it was Michigan 248 points with the 27 first place votes, Ohio State 8 first place votes, 226 points. There were big gaps really between everybody in the East. Uh, not in the West. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, Penn State, two first place votes on 192 points. Nobody nobody voted them lower than third. So there is a, a very distinct top three in the East by the consensus of the media vote. Maryland was fourth. You had them fifth. I had them fourth. Uh, they all, all they received were fourth and fifth place votes in this poll. Mm. 32 fourth place votes, 143 points. Then Michigan State, mostly fifth place votes, 105 points. Then Rutgers, mostly sixth place votes, 74 points. And Indiana, 28 last place votes, but voted as high as fifth and 48 points. So things very predictable, I think. If you had, if you had taken, you know, if we had asked last week on the poll, how do we think it's going to go one through seven? I think the only question might have been Maryland, Michigan State. But the rest of that, I think, plays out the way people would expect. The Big Ten West, though, is tight. Tight. And I'm going to have to go back and look. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. I still have to, you know, write up some of the um, posts that we do with this. I haven't done the full research yet. If there's ever been a vote this tight in any of the divisions in the 13 years that Ohio State is, or Cleveland.com has done this poll, one point separates Wisconsin and Iowa in the West. And I double and triple checked these results to make sure I wasn't screwing this up. Wisconsin received... 20 first-place votes, 11 second-place votes, five third-place votes, and one sixth-place vote, which almost cost them. Iowa, 16 first-place votes, 17 second-place votes, two-thirds, two-fourths. Wisconsin, 233 points. Iowa, 232 points. Just a crazy thin margin in the West. And, Stephen, you, you say you thought Wisconsin was the clear winner out there was your clear winner out there i also voted wisconsin first and i had it i think uh, in my mind somewhat safe you surprised that it's this razor thin yeah a little bit because i put it um i would have go fourth by illinois and minnesota so i I, yeah well then you're very you're very surprised listen the real question at hand here when it comes to iowa is what will have more points? Where will they score more points? In the Cleveland.com preseason poll or in the 12-game season on the field? I think i take the preseason poll. I think wow. we gave them more points when they would give themselves. Well, 232 in a regular season, that's less than 20 points a game. That's 19.3 points a game. That will not get your <laughs> offensive coordinator uh, retained. Um, by the way, so At most then- places – 
at most places, but when well, you're, you know, you're, it, when, at Iowa, it's contractual. They got to score twenty five a game, so um, he's, he, that that would that would not work. To to run through the rest of these real quick, Minnesota got one first place vote for one hundred seventy six points. Illinois uh, was fourth with one hundred fifty two. Nebraska one hundred sixteen. Purdue eighty nine. Northwestern thirty eight. Northwestern was last on every ballot except for one that gave them a sixth place vote. But as I said, no one from the West was picked to win. There were 27 combinations of Michigan champions, 15 over Wisconsin, 11 over Iowa, one over Minnesota, uh, four each for Ohio State to beat Iowa or Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, and then one each for Penn State to beat Iowa and Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. So that tells us that, and this is actually maybe the question I should have asked uh, along with this poll, if you had to pick a Big Ten Championship game matchup without divisions, which two teams would you pick? I think this tells us it would have been Ohio State and Michigan, and it wouldn't have been particularly close. So, Andrew, is this further evidence that the move to no divisions for the Big Ten is good because it's going to reward the best two teams rather than sort of manufacturing this balance uh, that we've dealt with now here for, for more than a decade? Um, I, Actually, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, cause again, I mean, obviously we've kind of talked about me coming in and, you know, this being my first season on the beat and I understand, you know, the letdown that Ohio state fans and you guys and everybody's got to feel from, oh my God, they just played Michigan and they won and now they're going to the big 10 championship or, oh my God, they lost. And now everything means, and now whoever wins has got to go play Northwestern or Iowa or like, it's just the drop off is significant. So I get it. But I don't I don't really care. I don't want to see Ohio State play Michigan back to back weeks. Like I don't I don't want to see, you know, a, a, a Big Ten championship game where you have two straight matchups. Like I want Ohio State Michigan to play once a year. I want that to be the matchup. And I want that to be I mean, in a lot of years, I want that to determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game. Like I want that to be the game. Like I want it to be and like pun intended. I want it to be the thing that everybody talks about it. I want it to matter. I don't want to have and we'll get, trust me, we will get into this as the season goes along. I don't want to have Ohio State play Michigan Saturday after Thanksgiving, and then they play a week later in the Big Ten Championship game. And then it's, okay, well, wait, now they might play in a 12-team playoff. That just waters it down for me. So I'm, I'm actually kind of against that. I, I would like to see some more competition out of the West. Um, the number one thing I'm looking for out of the West is that, like, if you get to the end of the season and, like, you have, like, a, I, I need, like, a running point counter for Iowa. Like if you go into the final two games of the year and you need like 58 mm. points, I hope they have like the, you know, Iowa versus Illinois, whoever it is at the end of the season. And then just at the bottom, they say Iowa total team points. And they're, they're just counting down because that would make it so much more entertaining. Yeah. There's going to be more drama. Steven, uh, run down your order of finish that you voted for in the West. So Wisconsin, number one, Illinois, number two, I'm just, I mean, we're in it now. Can Brett Bielema get, Get that year, that 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 year that maybe we we've kind of been talking about on Buckeye Talk for a couple of years now that maybe he can get something rolling here. I'm assuming that this might be the year. Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, and Northwestern, who I'm kind of disappointed that they weren't a unanimous last place team here. One vote so away from that. So close to being unanimous. Uh, I had Wisconsin, and I have Wisconsin only losing to Illinois in a in a repeat of what happened in 2019. Actually, if people remember. Was it 2019? There was a year where Wisconsin was really good. They played at Illinois the week before they came to Ohio State. That was Wisconsin. 
Yeah, that was they 19. played Allen only the week before they came to Ohio State. They lost. That was the year Illinois went to a bowl game under Levy Smith, uh, six and six team, and then lost. So it took. It was going to be maybe like a top five matchup, and that took a lot of the loss, luster off of that game. Uh, so I have the same thing playing out: Wisconsin winning the West, then Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue, and Northwestern. Those were my votes. And then I had Ohio State beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, which is what also uh, Stephen had, I assume. Um, yeah, because everybody picked an East yeah. champion. So, um, mm-hmm. another crazy year for the West potentially, and this is their last year that they get this. Like I was just, we were just talking about with Andrew. Like it's it, it the dynamic is going to shift a lot because they've you know the, the West champion has always had its place at the table, no matter what, no matter how good the West actually is in any given year. And there's always such a, a drop off. I mean, traditionally such a drop off. I mean, especially now for the past several years. And this is their last chance to have a moment. You know, it was big for Northwestern to get into those Big Ten championship games the last couple of years, although they obviously um, have bigger issues right now. They didn't really get to build on in that. It was big for Purdue and uh, to get in one last year because that's something you now get to go recruit with and and um, builds your program a little bit. And those things are going to go away. And I'm, I'm very curious what this looks like five, six, seven years down the line, beyond what Andrew's talking about with the the qualms that people have over the Ohio State-Michigan rematch back-to-back. And um, that is, I think, a concern that, that a lot of people in the Big Ten have. And how that's going to water down that game, how it's going to maybe water down the Big Ten championship game, I do wonder if there's going to be any sort of repercussions of – if we start seeing three teams kind of rotate to dominate who goes to Indianapolis or Los Angeles or Las Vegas or wherever they end up playing this game, what that's going to mean for the league, if that's going to end up being a detrimental thing for the league, I don't know yet. I, we're going to have to wait and see. I don't, I, I mean, Ohio state went to what four straight big 10 championship games. And now Michigan's been, I mean, they're kind of already doing it. They just don't get the chance to play each other. I think it just might be a good thing because one, it probably boosts the ratings that much more, especially the first, if it's, definitely going to happen in 2024 Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other and then they're going to play each other again in Indy and we're going to see proof in the pudding right there where ratings will be up the first time and then ratings will be up a second time and then we'll just be off and running because we'll also be in a 12-team playoff where it's good on good it it takes away the foregone conclusion that this is just going to be a smackdown game because the east is so much better than the west which is what we've seen over the past couple years outside of when Wisconsin is a top 10 team nationally what is more likely, Penn State wins the East or a West team wins the Big Ten Championship game? Penn State wins mm. the East. I, Penn State wins the East. Yeah. yeah I think, Definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, it, you can draw a line there where it's like, okay, like if Aller's good, like if, like really good, then, I mean, they got a good run game. Their defense should be pretty solid. Like you you can draw a line there, and, and, and it's not that crazy. Like with every team in the Big Ten West, you're like, Okay, well, this has to happen, and this has to happen, and this has to happen, and this has to happen. Like, there's just you—you you just have to go through too many things, and then you get to the end of the line, and it's like, oh yeah, by the way, they also have to beat a Penn State, a Michigan, or an Ohio State to win the Big Ten. So, like, not only do they like do they have to be good and get there, but they have to you know beat a you know presumably a juggernaut in that title game. So yeah, I, I think it's Penn State pretty clearly. Penn State doesn't have to beat both Ohio State and yeah. Michigan to win the Big Ten. That's why. That's the only reason. 
That's a great point. And I think, I mean, that's definitely one of the things that's on the table, like a, a, a round robin where they all sort of beat each other. You know, Penn State beats Ohio State, Michigan beats Penn State, Ohio State beats Michigan, and now it comes down to tiebreakers or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, if if the Drew Aller thing hits, if people are right about how much talent Penn State has to these other positions, uh, then that, that could be a, a thing that's in the mix. But we are going to take a break and come back and start talking about the preseason player of the year votes. And there's some interesting stuff here in balance of talent that I want to talk about, especially as it relates to Ohio State and Michigan. You are listening to Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. Should Marvin Harrison Jr. be the unanimous preseason offensive player of the year in the Big Ten? Depends on how you vote. That's a no. That's a no. That's Steven saying no. I know. No, seriously. I do think it depends on how you you use your vote. Because if you're using it as a who's the best player coming into the season, it's number 18 for Ohio State. Duh. If you're using this, if you're especially with this stuff, if you're using it to predict who's going to just win a trophy, that might not be Marvin Harrison, and that's how I voted. I, I voted this exact same way in 2021 when Ohio State had a new quarterback, where it was the best player on the team coming into that season were Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, whatever order you want to put them in. And so logically, you're like, oh, you should vote for one of those two guys. And my logic was, I'm going to vote for C.J. Stroud because. This is a quarterback award at this point, and he that ended up being the case. It's all he's got to do is be normal in this offense, and he's going to have the type of numbers that lead to winning an award like this. And to get in, so to get into my vote, that's how I went about it. Is who's going to have the numbers that end up winning awards like this, regardless of who is just the best eye test player? Andrew, who would you have voted for if you had a vote? Marvin Harrison. I, I mean, like I, you know, I look at the, you know, I, I understand the argument that Steven's making and like, I think it's a fair one. Um, you know, I, I just, I look at, I mean, if Ohio state's going to have success this season, obviously a couple different things are going to happen. Um, but Marvin Harrison jr. Is probably going to be a dog. Like he's, he's going to be a dude that every week you can just throw it up to and say, all right, go win the game. And I, he might be the unique, like he, it might be a little bit of a situation like you see with the Vikings in the NFL where like everybody's like, well, maybe Justin Jefferson should be considered for MVP because, you know, what do we think about their quarterback? I don't know. Like I'm not calling um, Kyle McCord the Kirk Cousins of, of the Big Ten, um, but I, I just think that when you have a receiver that talented that elevates an offense like that, I just think he is such next level where you, you have to give him respect. I think Steven's on the right path. I just think that if Marvin Harrison Jr. like has the season that people think he can, then it's going to be really hard to ignore. I don't know that there's a wrong answer. I mean, we don't give people, our voters, any sort of guidance on how they're supposed to think about this. What does preseason player of the year mean to you? Are you saying this is who the best players are today? Are you predicting who will win the award at the end of the year? I think both of those are valid ways to vote. I voted more the former and who I think the best football player is today and probably will be also at the end of the season. So I did vote Marvin Harrison Jr. Number one, and he was the offensive player of the year, a preseason offensive player of the year. And again, that vote was not close. He had 27 out of the 37 ballots went to him. He was only mentioned on 35 of the 37 ballots. So two people left him off altogether, which I think again if receivers don't often win awards like this no matter how good they are so that's a fair thing 
to if you're especially voting in a predictive way, I'd have to go back and look at who else those people voted for. So Marvin Harrison Jr., 27 first place votes, 94 points overall. That was more total points than the next two vote getters on the list. Uh, Michigan running back Blake Corum was second, four per- first place votes, 56 total points. Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy was third, five first place votes, 27 points. There's one other first place vote, though, floating out there. Steven, who did that first place vote go to? I voted for Kyle McCord, which was basically me, me pick, marking down who I think is going to win Ohio State starting quarterback job. I just think it's it's a quarterback award. I, I looked it up. One wide receiver has ever won Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, and that was Braylon Edwards from Michigan when he did it back in 2004. Everybody else has been a quarterback or a running back. And as of the last five years, it's been Ohio State quarterback. Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields twice, C.J. Stroud twice. Before that, it was Saquon Barkley twice and Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gore, a running back run, a run of running backs won it. It's just – it's very hard for wide receivers to win player of the year awards when, yes, Marvin Harrison is going to be very awesome this year. He was very awesome last year, but his numbers aren't blowing wide receiver two on Ohio State out the water. Emeka Ibuka is right there with him. So – I he would have to do something very, very significant in terms of like, like his numbers last year aren't going to cut it. I don't think 1500 yards and 15 touchdowns is going to cut it. He would have to have like 20 touchdown catches or flirting with 2000 yards to get it because he has to overcompensate for the fact that for every yard and every touchdown he gets, you probably have to times that by two or three to get what, the guy who's throwing him the ball is eventually going to have at the end of the year. Andrew, do you think that's true or can a receiver be impressive enough in the way that he does his job and sort of the obvious gravity that he has within the offense and the effect he has on defense that he can win an award like this, even if there is a quarterback, his quarterback, especially we're putting up big yards. Well, I think it depends. I think, you know, you kind of need to, you know, see how the season plays out, um, you know, because like Steve was saying, if you have, you know, a couple different receivers who are kind of within spitting distance of him and yardage wise, like I think, you know, it, it's a little bit like w- that clip. I think it was the the Ohio State Clemson game in, um, in, I think it was that Fiesta Bowl where, you know, there was a clip of Chase Young just getting triple teamed. Like if you start seeing clips like that, you know, throughout the course of the season where they're just teams are just throwing a corner and a safety over the top and you've got a linebacker kind of buzzing out. Like, I think that there's there are unique circumstances to where like, you know, 1400, 1500 yards looks a heck of a lot more impressive for Marvin Harrison Jr. than it does for anybody else. So I I think that, um, you know, especially, you know, you're going to hear a lot at Big Ten Media Day and kind of throughout the season about kind of what coaches are going to have to do to slow him down. So I think that if there is a concerted effort like that, you know, if you start seeing every game where there's just, you know, everybody else is running free because Marvin Harrison Jr. is getting double team, getting triple team sometimes like, and then he's still kind of putting up yards that are comparable to everybody else. I think then you've got an argument. So I don't know if there's a catch all. I think, I think it just kind of depends on, on how these games play out. Um, and you just kind of need to see how defenses play Ohio state this year. Yeah. And as we've talked about before it, I'm not sure I expect teams to do that. That the kind of right. thing you're talking about, like how much can you really sell mm-hmm. out to take him away just because the, the yeah. weapons all across the field are, are so good. You're really putting yourself in a bind. That is still though a, a 
an easy consensus to, to win that award for Marvin Harrison Jr. But as Stephen pointed out, the last five postseason offensive players of the year have all been Ohio State quarterbacks. And an Ohio State quarterback has won the quarterback of the year award seven years in a row. So yep. it's it, this is and especially now with Ryan Day here and the kind of of program that he runs, uh, it, it's it's not a, a shock when those guys keep putting up those stats. And we've we've talked about that before, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that some more as we do market down Mondays and things like that. But Stephen McCord got your first place vote. He got a second place vote. And that's it. So he finished seventh Nothing in the shocking. voting, but those are those are his five points. Was you and one other dude? You got a it's a small, it, a, a small um, what do I want to say a fan club at this point, but partially that partially it's because as we have publicized, as everybody who covers this beat has publicized, Comic Court technically isn't the starter yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not shocking. I think it was pretty similar when I picked Stroud in 2021, where it was like me and one other person did it, and so that's that's not shocking. I, I, I that's a place where as long as I'm covering this team and doing this poll, I'm probably gonna live on an island with one other person when I'm picking someone who has pro- at this point, typically when we do this pod, hasn't officially won the job yet to be picking him. I, I'm not expecting. I'm always expecting to be in the minority there. Braylon Allen from Wisconsin was fourth in the voting. I don't think I mentioned that yet. So I mentioned Coram and McCarthy second and third. Braylon Allen fourth, no first place votes and 21 points. And I'm going back to last year's results to check because I wanted to see the spread. Last year, Braylon Allen was third, had a really great freshman year. So third with 37 points. Trevin Henderson was sixth with five points. We kind of talked about that disparity last year. What's even greater this year. And those guys are always going to be compared because it came in at the same time and were freshman stars right away. Um, Allen, 21 points for fourth place. Trevin Henderson had one second place vote. That was the only ballot he was on this year with, uh, with two points. So he and one other player, you can can probably guess, uh, Emeka Buka was the other Ohio State player. He received one third place vote. So you're only voting for three. It's kind of tight. But is there anybody that you thought from Ohio State that would get more support than this, uh, Stephen? Yeah. I was was surprised that Buka only got one vote. I was a little surprised. Yeah, that just and and and, and, and I, I, maybe you should go ahead and say this. I I almost was his second third place vote. I actually ended up voting for Olu Fashanu, the Penn State tackle. Kind of going back to again my way of voting for who I think the best player is today, not who I um, speculate might get more support at the end of the year. I think that's a really tough call because I'm a, a a believer in what Emeka Buka is as a football player, but Fashanu was going to be one of the top drafted tackles in the uh, this past draft, if he had come out and, and is a very heralded prospect there. And I had Blake Coram second on my ballot. Who did you have second and third? Coram was second for me and Allen was third. Okay. And that's just, yep. I mean, Allen's the logic with Allen is just, he's the latest really good Wisconsin running back on a, on a really good Wisconsin team. So he's going to have the numbers. And I mean, Coram was flirting with Heisman trophy finalists. Yep. status before the Ohio before he missed the Ohio State game and so if he just picks up where he left off last year I don't see why he won't be in this race the Mecca thing is interesting though and I'm going to use the logic Andrew just said if Marvin if if you do that if teams just try to take away Marvin Harrison then they're just going to throw a Mecca Ibuka the ball and he's going to have the big season that's the whole point of that wide receiver room is you can't take one away because all you're going to do is allow the other one to eat. it's the Jackson Smith the Jigba theory 
is okay, you take away the people you know, they're going to kill you with someone you don't know yet, except Mecca Buka's a little bit more established here. He's going to be a thousand yard receiver once again. Him and Marvin are going to be the first Ohio State wide receivers to ever have multiple thousand yard seasons in their career. And so I am a little shocked that I get Marvin is Marvin. But if you think teams are going to sell out on taking away Marvin Harrison, that just means Emeka Buka is going to get more. It's one of those things, again, you're only voting for three. You have to take somebody off. I think Harrison and Corm, to me, have to be one, two. Yes. Like, a, a, a unanimous All-American and a guy who, if he hadn't got hurt, might have been able to win the Heisman. Like, those two guys are both back. And then I just wasn't sure who was going to finish third. And here it's J.J. McCarthy. Again, in this year where there aren't a lot of great returning starters throughout the Big Ten, You've got a lot of, I think there's something like, there's only four or five quarterbacks who are coming to Big Ten Media Days this week, and three of them are transfers or something like that, and most of them are from the West. It's just a a weird year because you've got a first-year starter at Ohio State, a first-year starter at at Penn State. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa did get some votes, but farther down the list. And um, third place was going to be the interesting vote to me. And, And for J.J. McCarthy to win it, just Andrew, as someone who's been following again college football here for the last couple of years, do you come into this season thinking of JJ McCarthy as the best quarterback in the Big Ten? No, I don't. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess. Well, I don't know. That's I know. Yeah. See, <laughs> y- you say no, and then you think, wait a minute, actually, I mean, who deserves that title he, more? Right. He, he, now? he I mean, he kind of has to be by default because there's no right. other option. Yeah. All so, the other options are everybody else you're throwing in this conversation is a. We think they're going to be really good, but you can't really. You, know, you can't say that right now. When yeah. You haven't seen through Drew Aller and Kyle McCord and Sam Hartman and whoever else is on that list play football yet. Yeah, I. You know, I look at. I think, yeah, this this to me is an interesting question because I think as we debate this, what day is today? July 24th, as we sit here and talk right now. Like, I think we, I think, like you said, you almost have to say McCarthy. I mean, how soon are you going to have a different answer? Like, I could see it being two, three weeks and being like, okay, we, I have a different answer than J.J. McCarthy now. I've seen enough. Like, you know, I, like even if it's a non-conference schedule, even if, you know, Aller lights up West Virginia, which like, I mean... West Virginia is West Virginia. They're not going to, you know, they're not the, you know, God's gift to the world. So I, I, I just kind of look at that and say that that's an answer that like, like Steven said, you, you, you have to say winner by default, but I think you can have a different answer really, really quickly. Yeah. I think you would have to, by my estimation, I would call him the person who most deserves to be called the best quarterback in the big 10 today. As you said, July yes. 24th, people listening to this on July 25th. I would also not call him my favorite to be the Big Ten quarterback. I would take like the field to be the Big Ten quarterback of the year at the end of the year. Because I just think from stylistically, partially, that he's not the kind of quarterback that is going to win that award. And and probably won't finish even as high in, in player of the year voting because of that. Because it's a different kind of offense. It's a it's a more run-based offense, obviously. And um uh, that's just not going to necessarily facilitate him being able to put up those kind of big numbers. I, the, okay. So if I had done this, I'm thinking about this now. If I had done this poll a week ago, I probably would have put uh, Marv one, Quorum two, Allen three. I think Steven convinced me of McCord at, at, for a third place vote. Like, I, I, I think that <laughs> the more I think about it, 
it's an Ohio State quarterback. It's a guy who's throwing to two outstanding receivers. And I mean, you know, like, you know, kind of like Stephen was saying, like, okay, well, we, you know, we had that debate about, you know, Harrison and okay, well, what happens if his numbers aren't that great? Or what if this, what if that? Well, if his numbers, you know, are still, you know, solid, you know, if he has, you know, another good season and Igbuka goes crazy, like, you know, and they're kind of, you know, he's up there with Harrison. Well, that, that also is, you know, it might lead you to, you know, one of the receivers to vote for, but it's also going to lead you back to McCord. So I, I'm, I'm interested by McCord now. I think that that's a good point. I get Marvin I, I Harrison, Marvin yeah. Harrison. Part of the issue is Devonte Smith. When he won the Heisman, it was very obvious. It was him and not Mac Jones. Yeah. And what helped with that was Jalen Waddle getting hurt. Marvin Harrison has to prove that it's him and not Kyle McCord. And it's hard to do that if every if all the weapons are healthy, especially the receivers. Because if they all if you got two thousand yard receivers and you know uh, Julian Fleming is what seven hundred eight hundred yards and you know Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are back healthy and doing what they're got to do you're just going to go to it's very easy to just look at the engine and the engine is going to be the quarterback every single time and so that's why it's hard I, I Marv it's it's just he's got to be it's unfair but he has to do something that is just like kind of otherworldly to get people's mindsets out of the ooh good quarterback good team awesome stats that's an award winner but that could be the kind of player he is <laughs> he was already kind of he had some otherworldly moments Ooh. last year and if he gets better that's the other thing like we could be could be seeing a guy on the rise from year 2 to year 3 uh, I agree with everything you're saying. I would say, too, though, there's something to be said for name recognition slash hype slash viral moments slash all of yeah. those things. And if 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 it is just a numbers um, numbers, um, what do I want to say? I will say this, too, with Stroud, especially both years, he had multiple great receivers. Um, mm-hmm. so it was easier maybe for him to, to stand up. And I guess that's probably, we expect that to be true for Kyle McCord as well, yeah. but especially that 2021 year where you had 3000 yard receivers in that, or well, almost not quite, but if, yeah, you know, you had Smith and Jacob going crazy, Olave and Wilson both having great years. Um, that further kind of splits it to the quarterback. If it, if Harrison has just a great year that is clearly better than Ibuka's, and I'm not predicting that necessarily. So I think Ibuka could have a pretty awesome year. Maybe that could be enough to like separate that and, and help him win an award like this. But I do think your thinking is correct that quarterbacks win this award. Often, if you think common Cord's going to win the quarterback job, then Ohio State's quarterback often wins this award. So it's, it's a pretty easy logic that gets you to that result. Really quickly, I want to touch on another question that I asked. It was kind of like our, our throw-in question this year that we do for fun, uh, for lack of a better term. And it was, what is the toughest road environment in the Big Ten? And everybody voted for this. We got 37 votes for this. And if people come to cleveland.com slash OSU, I'm going to include, I think, some of the, the comments that some of those texter, uh, voters, I should say, gave this year. The far and away winner was Beaver Stadium. 17 of the 37 votes went to Beaver Stadium. So before we get to the rest of them, Stephen, does that check out for you? I mean, who who did you vote for? 
I just clicked Beaver Stadium and kept it pushing in the poll. I didn't waste a lot of time on it. I do still feel robbed that you and I didn't get a chance to get the full whiteout experience in 2020 because it was COVID. But last year showed me all I needed to see. And I can envision how much tougher that gets at night. I was very close to voting for another stadium that I have been to, but only once it's been several years. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. But I eventually changed my vote to Beaver Stadium because I think it is it's tangible. Like you go there and you you can feel it on you. Even up mm-hmm. in the press box, you you felt the impact of that crowd last year. And it made for just a, a, an awesome environment. Like that was one of my favorite games to cover since I've been on this beat. And not only because of how it unfolded in a very interesting way, but because of that environment. But Ohio Stadium was second on this vote. And I was a little bit surprised by that. I have to go check. I bet if I go back in and check those comments, Stephen, uh, for those of you uh, not watching, if I even post this on YouTube, is turning up his nose at that. Um, Ohio State got nine votes and Kinnick Stadium for Iowa was third. I think if I will go back and check these results, the argument you would make to vote for Ohio Stadium is, well, that's where the best team plays. That's why it's the toughest road environment. You have to go beat the best team. And it's maybe not like letter of the question, spirit of the question. But, uh, Andrew, I, I can see why someone would make that vote. I, I'm curious, how many times have you even been in Ohio Stadium yet? And if you've had any vibe of, of what it's like to be at a game there? Uh, sort of, like half. Uh, so I saw them, 2017, I saw them play Illinois on senior day. And the game was 28 nothing with like one minute left in the first quarter. Uh, that game was not very <laughs> intense. Uh, it no. was very, very ugly. It got ugly quick. It started pouring rain like in like the late third quarter. I mentioned I like it's the hardest it's ever rained in Columbus, Ohio. So like I didn't really get like a like an amped up crowd like, a you know, this is a, yep. you know, big time crowd. Like I've been to other college stadiums that have been really cool and like really fun environments like that. Like Lane Stadium pops up as one. Like when the, like when when Enter Sandman hits and it's a night game at Lane Stadium at Virginia Tech, that's a really cool stadium. So like that's kind of my bar for where I'm at. So like I'm curious to see like how Ohio Stadium compares to like Camp Randall and the Big House and next year Beaver Stadium. Like, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. But yeah, so Ohio State. I mean, I've been there for one game, but like, was it really even a game? I don't know. So Andrew, you don't know this. I'm from Columbus. Okay. So even before I'd been, I was on this beat. I'd been to some Ohio State games. First of all, I don't know. I, I, you're, I understand the logic that Nathan you just used. I think it's a great logic to use most of the time. Except <laughs> the real best team in the Big Ten just went in there and put forty plus on their head. And well, I don't know. You don't have to in the short window. It can be over historically how are you okay uh, yeah no, i know i was gonna get to this historically oregon just went in there and put 35 plus on their head um baker mayfield went in there and planted a flag and i don't that's not the point i'm getting at here really is ohio stadium feels very much like it is the play in madison square garden because it's all the fans are crazy they're engaged but they will also boo their favorite team when they don't like something it, they, they'll do that, and so it's 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 not like it's not the it's not the most fearful environment if you're coming in there as an as an away team, but it is a different type of environment because their tone goes with where the game is going. So if Ohio State is playing flat, the crowd is flat. If Ohio State is 
doing what they did to Michigan State in 2021, then the crowd will also mirror that. I don't get to go to Camp Randall this year because I'll be at a wedding, so I'm a little jealous because I was interested to seeing that jump around um, vibe when they do play that song. But I, 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 with Ohio Stadium, it's it's very roller coastery, and that's why it's like it's hard. That's why I made the face of like, really, you think it's crazy in there? It's maybe it depends on what the score is. Is how crazy well, it's going to get. But again, it's it's the way the question is worded, and I think I just mm. said the toughest Big Ten road environment. Let me check the question again. Toughest road environment in the Big Ten. So again, that is open to interpretation. If someone were to say, yeah. for instance, I think you're right about what you were saying, and, and we've talked about it before with Doug, uh, who brought it up many times after all the games he's watched here, that when it's when it's not going good in Ohio Stadium, sometimes it gets flat. But I think there enough of these beat writers have come to Ohio Stadium to cover their team playing Ohio State, and Ohio State puts up 21 in the Fair. first quarter, and now you got a hundred and some thousand people who are super excited. And what does that mean for a team trying to come back? But still, a, a distant second place for Ohio State. Uh, Kinnick Stadium third. Michigan Stadium got three votes, and Camp Randall got a, a single vote from a texter whose comment was simply "It shakes." But I've been to <laughs> Camp Randall. That was the one I almost voted for. And um, it is fun. It is a fun environment as you're walking through the town and the tailgating and all that stuff. And it's a fun environment in the stadium. And if it's a game going into the fourth quarter, then uh, jump around is a big part of the experience. And Andrew, you're going to, I think, get a great uh, like barometer this year of all these. You're going to go to Notre Dame Stadium. You're going to go to the Big House. You're going to go to Camp Randall. Um and you're going to get all these Ohio State home games, including a home game against Penn State. So you're going to have some some measurements here of just how tough Ohio Stadium is compared to some of those other environments. You're going to get to see some of the best environments in college football, really. Well, and you didn't even mention ross Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I, mention so ross Aid Stadium. When I was a senior in college, uh, I was a student reporter covering the Bobcats. And they played. Uh, they, it was a Friday night game at at Purdue, and I was so excited to go to this Big Ten game. And it's like, oh wow, like you know, maybe the press box isn't gonna you know be this like tiny little shack. And I was I was really excited for this whole thing. And then you park a mile away from the stadium, and you can't really see the stadium where you park, and you take a golf cart up to it. And I was like, yep. oh, well, th- this is the Big Ten. Like this is, and then you get up to the press box <laughs> and I'm thinking like, this is going to be the greatest Barely. food. Because sp- at, at Ohio games, what we had every week, Domino's pizza, men's basketball games, Domino's pizza, football games, Domino's pizza Same. every week. So I was like, oh, they might actually have like, what I want. they might actually have like a dinner for us. And it, I think it was hot dogs. So I was like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to complain about free food. But it was like, I was very excited to go to a big 10 stadium. And then I get to Ross aid and I was like, oh. All right. Well, this is fine. Um, so yeah, I uh, I'm excited to see what differences there are in uh, Big Ten from Ross Aid. You know, and I think you about it. What, on... what year was that, Andrew? Ahead, Dave. That was uh, 2017. Yeah, I was. I would. We would have been at that game together. I was down oh, at really? the other end of the the press box. Yeah, I was. Um, I was. That was the year after. That was the first year under Jeff Brom, 2017. Yeah, that was like the they played Louisville the week before. And yep. then this was like the first game that they like, I remember they made such a big deal out of it because they had these like shiny helmets and they like put like a new fixture in like permanent lights or something like that. And they were like, this is the first ever 
night game with the permanent lights or something like that. I was like, why do people care about this? I miss Doug right now because this Purdue conversation has gone much longer than he would have ever allowed it to go on. Well, it's relevant because Ohio State plays at Purdue this year. So fans who maybe have never been to Ross State Stadium before should know that uh, the Ohio State contingent usually improves the environment in that stadium. I haven't been in Ross State the last couple of years when Purdue was better. But when they're not good, it's a pretty drab place. So maybe Ohio State can take advantage of that when they play there this year. We're going to take one more break. We're going to come back to talk about the Big Ten preseason defensive player of the year. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. So there were two astonishingly tight votes this year. Again, we've polled 37 people. 37 people voted in this exercise, and that's about the number that we get traditionally. And there's always a widespread of people who get votes for defensive player of the year as opposed to offensive. We got about a third more that voted for uh, players who got at least one vote for defensive player of the year over offensive. Another one point separation at the top of the defensive player of the year standings. Before I reveal that, Stephen, who did you vote for for Big Ten defensive preseason player of the year? I voted for Abdul Carter. I am very intrigued by him. I thought he was awesome when Ohio State played him. Um, I remember him camping at a June day camp two years ago. I I believe it was two years ago. He didn't get an Ohio State offer that day, but I thought he looked good. I thought he looked perfect for what Penn State is. I think this kid might be the second coming of Marcus Parsons for him. And I know that sounds crazy, but his true freshman numbers out the gate where they played similar snaps, around 500 snaps each for them, below Micah Parsons is out of the water. I think that guy – might be a weapon for them in a way where he might explode this year and have a borderline All-American season. And so I I get it. It is a wide range of guys you can go for it. But I think he is, in my mind, clearly Penn State's best defensive player. And that's in a world where they've also got Kalen King there. So my first place vote went to Illinois' Jerzon Newton. Johnny Newton, I think he also goes by. Defensive tackle. He was second in the Big Ten last year in tackles for loss. He was in the top uh, seven in sacks. A you know, Just a, a really strong player. And again, you look at that head to NFL draft things. Um, very highly thought of player. He finished second in this vote by one point to Iowa defensive back Cooper DeJean, which I think is how you pronounce that. And I meant to check and I forgot. Um, D-E capital J-E-A-N. So one point separation to decide the preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. Was he on your ballot, Stephen? He was not. I, I, I had an Ohio State guy, which we'll get into, and I had the one Wisconsin vote, I remember. And that's a lot of that was just like a nod to Luke Fickle and the way he, his defenses were at Cincinnati cannot transfer over to Wisconsin and who their best player is. So mentioning Ohio State players, the, it was it was it got tight. Uh, it was tight for third and fourth. Tommy Eichenberg, who I had predicted a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, just don't forget about him because like you know, returning second team All American, like he's going to get some support here. He finished third with twenty nine points. He got six first place votes. So there were I think five players who got at least five first place votes. Very 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 tight vote on uh, defense this year. But that was only one point ahead of JT Tuimaloao who got five first place votes with 28 points. So those guys finished third and fourth in this vote. Who did, who were you voting for Steven? Number two for me was JT Tui Um It's can he bottle up the Penn state game and be 85% of it? Cause that's probably an all American 
If you can do that, and then Wisconsin's my I'm I've been practicing this ever since I voted. I'm hoping I'm getting this right. <laughs> Miami Injameta from Wisconsin, the linebacker who I thought was pretty decent last year. And I think like like I said, can Luke Fickle unlock something with him who as their head coach, but also he's a defensive minded linebacker guy first. So Eichenberg and Tumalau, third and fourth. Uh, Denzel Burke was eighth. He got one first place vote. Mike Hall was 11th. He got one first place vote, and it was not me. I want to stress that for the record. It was not me driving the bus for Mike Hall all the way to making him preseason defensive player of the year. And then Jack Sawyer also got a second place vote. So that's five Ohio State defensive players who received at least a vote, and four of them got a first place vote. Uh, Andrew, I know that you've been trying to you know um, familiarize yourself with the conversations around Ohio State football. Yeah. For all the consternation that there's been about this defense the last couple of years, does that amount of talent that's being recognized by the consensus of the Big Ten, contrary to what you've heard about Ohio State's defense or what maybe you would expect people to be saying about Ohio State's defense at this point? Well, I mean, you you always know that there's talent there, right? Like, I I mean, I think... You know, you just kind of look at some of the plays that happen, like, for example, in that Michigan game, it's like it's, you know, it's big plays, it's chunk plays, it's a blown coverage here, you know, a guy's, you know, a guy doesn't have his assignment and like the talents there. So that has never surprised me, right? You know, that that Ohio State kind of would have this number of guys on the list. Um, You know, I this was this to me felt the hardest thing that I've had to do since we started. You know, we're talking about recruiting classes and we're talking about offensive player of the year and Big Ten picks like. I could, you know, I, I had my research and I had previous knowledge and then, you you know, you kind of supplement that. This was the one where I was like, oh, man, there's so many you read. There's so is. many different things <laughs> and you read and like, you know, I've heard, you know, really good things about Chop Robinson at Penn State. And I was reading up on him today. Like there, there are just things that kind of come up like over and over and over again where you're like, OK, well, maybe this guy. OK, well, no, wait now. Now maybe this guy. So I don't know. I, I to answer your original question, the. The amount of Ohio State guys on this list doesn't really surprise me, especially considering, you know, there's not like a, okay, this guy's going top five in 2024. There's not a Marvin Harrison Jr. of the defense. You know, there's not a Chase Young there. So, you know, having that amount of guys doesn't really surprise me. But this to me just, I mean, it felt so wide open when I was trying to do some research for this. Yeah, Chop Robinson, I believe that's who Doug voted for. He had three first-place votes. So, again, six players that had at least three first-place votes among the 16 that got votes this year. Just, I don't know if that means that this there's just a lot of defensive talent in the Big Ten or, again, it, it, it's, it's also sometimes a, a an indicator of defense can be harder to predict statistically. And if you lose a bunch of players like the Big Ten did in Jack Campbell and Nick Herbig and some of the other guys who were getting a lot of votes for things like this, last year then it, it opens it up to a lot of people this year uh so Eichenberg being third on this list Stephen did that surprise you that he's higher than Tumaloau no um in fact I'm surprised there wasn't more of a gap than just one point just because I mean he's the second team all-american between the two I think JT from an NFL draft standpoint obviously JT he plays the premier position but we're talking Big Ten, we're talking a guy who had 100-plus tackles last year, might have 100-plus again this year. He seems like the safer bet because the JT vote is a we think he's going to finally be Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa on that lineage. Tommy Eichenberg just has to do what he did last year, and he's going to be in this conversation. 
Five, six, and seven on this list were all Penn State people. It was Kalen King, a really good defensive back that they have that we were impressed with uh, at times last year. Uh, Abdul Carter, the linebacker that you mentioned, Stephen, like I said, five first place votes for him, one for King, and three for Chop Robinson, seventh. This is a team Ohio State's going to have to play this year. And Andrew, as you've been, you said that Penn State kind of has caught your eye. How much of it is this accumulation of defensive talent that they've put together? Well, yeah, I mean, that helps too. You know, you know, I mentioned, obviously, when we talked about Penn State, Aller was kind of the reason why I was, I think I said, like, I wasn't asking, but I'm just, I'm just asking, like, that mm. that's going to be the thing that kind of drives Penn state, but I wouldn't really be having that conversation. Like you said, if there wasn't kind of an accumulation of defensive talent, like, you know, if they were, you know, just kind of old school, big 12 defense where, you know, you knew that, the, you know, Penn state's offense was going to have to score, you know, 45 a week just to kind of, you know, have a good season and kind of put themselves in, in the contention that they want to put themselves in. That to me felt, um, you know, that that's kind of why I put Penn State up there just because, again, I mean, they lost some talent. Obviously, you lose Joey Porter Jr. Like y- you lose guys like that and those guys are hard to replace, but they still have a lot of talent there. So, you know, just kind of having an accumulation of talent, even if it's not, you know, high end, this guy's going top five easily first round, top 10 first round in 2024. I just think having that level of talent really is significant for a team that, uh, you know, needs to make a jump in 23. So I wanted to ask this from the Michigan-Ohio State head-to-head comparison, because as we said, Michigan easily voted the favorite here. But those same people, as they turned in all of their votes, and as, as Stephen and I just said, like I voted Tommy Eichenberg third, Stephen voted uh, JT Tumalau second, but it wasn't like we loaded up on Ohio State players. And I, don't, mm-hmm. I think Doug might have voted for one Ohio State player on his ballot, but I, I can't remember. I think he might have voted for Eichenberg third, but... He he also didn't load up his ballot with Ohio State guys, so it wasn't like the home team was getting uh, ballot stuffed here. Five Ohio State defensive players received votes, um, so that brought it to nine vote getters altogether from Ohio State, including the four on offense. Michigan has five total between offense and defense, so that's twice as many players getting voted among the top three on that side of the ball than Michigan does almost. So why is Michigan such a heavy favorite? Because because of Blake Corum, J.J. McCarthy, and Donovan Edwards. But no, honest, I think it's because Ohio State had one of the best defenses in the country until they played Michigan. I think that's what this is. We Andrew mentioned it earlier. We've kind of been in this window now where Ohio State is good enough to win the national championship, but Michigan is good enough to beat Ohio State. And that when you fathom in all that logic that's how you get michigan's number one while Ohio state's got all these defensive players i think the most interesting thing was none none of us us three here at cleveland.com voted for jack sawyer and he got two votes mm-hmm. i think that's um that's a i mean of all of them denzel burke i get it he's been a two-year starter and when he was healthy he was pretty good at cornerback what does that look like in year three jt to went supernova god mode against penn state and so Five-star recruit, maybe he's ready to be a top 10 draft pick. Jack Sawyer is all idea. Since the moment he committed as a teenager, he's been all idea of what he can be. And the fact that there are other people outside of those who cover Ohio State daily who maybe think that way about him, I, I mean, obviously we think he's interesting, but that's a, a bigger nod to like how people view Ohio State's defense outside of the program with people who are covering other programs. Andrew, when you see that vote disparity 
for lack of a better term, between more Ohio State players picked than Michigan by a, a pretty wide margin. When you look at the recruiting rankings, does that give you any indication of how you would then pick the outcome of that game in November? Or do you suspect that there's something more to it, that maybe this is more a Ohio State problem with Michigan than just being able to rely on X's and O's and the, the talent uh, comparison? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not a talent thing. I mean, you go back and look at some of the classes. I, I mean, especially, I, I think that's, I mean, you have to give credit to Michigan, right? Like, I think that that's one of the things that they've done really well is that, you know, they can take a 13th ranked recruiting class and a 9th ranked recruiting class. And, and I know they've kind of steadily improved here. But like, Ohio State's always had the better recruiting classes. You know, Ohio State has kind of always had, you know, the better quote-unquote players, the better quote-unquote talent. Like, you know, Stephen mentioned that, you know, Jack Sawyer was kind of all ideas, you know, when you talk about a player like that, um, you know, I, 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 I it doesn't, it's, it's a, it's a unique conversation to have because you look at it on paper and see, okay, well, Ohio state should be, you know, more talented, blah, 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 blah. Now that doesn't mean Michigan can never win the, that, you know, that football game. It just means that Ohio state, and I know they've lost two in a row and they, you know, they haven't really been pretty, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I look at both of those teams and I see, you know, one really good team and, you know, one team that's been really, really good at developing. And I, I just, the disparity isn't great enough to where I'm stunned by it. Like if Michigan was recruiting, you know, 24th, 29th, you know, 19th in the country every year and Ohio state loses to him twice. Okay. Then there, then there might be something bigger at play here. I just think sometimes you can lose to good football teams and, you know, even if you are, quote unquote, the more talented team. I will say seeing that breakdown of the votes made me a little bit more confident in my pick of Ohio State to beat Michigan. But as we talked with Tishu on this pod a couple weeks ago, he's basically predicting his numbers right now, call it a toss up game. And as, as Andrew was saying there, you know, there are books around the country that have much better national championship odds for Ohio State, but almost all of them have a very slim betting margin on that game right now. Half a point, one point, something like that, uh, that game in Ann Arbor. So we have several weeks, obviously, to play out between now and then, but that is going to sort of be hovering over this season and give us perspective on pretty much week to week what's going on with both of these programs as they march towards that Thanksgiving weekend and a a big matchup that college football world is going to be waiting for. That wraps up our Tuesday podcast. Wednesday will not get up until late afternoon, maybe even early evening, because it will be from Indianapolis. It'll be from Big Ten Media Day. Andrew will be there. Steven will be there. I will be there. We will be potting from Lucas Oil Stadium or somewhere nearby and telling you, reacting to everything we hear from Ryan Day, Marvin Harrison Jr., JT Tuimaloao, Kate Stover, other people around the Big Ten. It's going to be a lot of information, and we're going to try to synthesize it for you and get it out to you in the pod, but you're going to have to wait. It's not going to be there Wednesday morning, so just a heads up that Wednesday and Thursday both, those pods will come later in the day, and then we'll hit you back um, sometime probably actually in the afternoon on Friday because we have to get back from Indianapolis, and then we'll get into probably a market down Monday going into next week. So as we said on yesterday's pod, kind of the same routine that we've always been in, and we're glad you're sticking around to listen to what we've got going on. So for Andrew Gillis and for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.